Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Tales from the Synapse, a podcast brought to you by Nature Careers in partnership with Nature Neuroscience. I'm Jean Mary Zarate, a senior editor at the journal Nature Neuroscience, and in this series, we speak to brain scientists all over the world about their life, their research, their collaborations, and the impact of their work. In episode seven, we host a fearless researcher whose personal experience of epilepsy has spurred on her career in neuroscience. My name is Kristen Godale. I completed my undergraduate in neuroscience and biology at Baldwin Wallace University, located in Cleveland, Ohio, and my PhD in neuroscience at the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. My passion for neuroscience stems from my own personal journey. Early in life, I was diagnosed with epilepsy, and that inspired me to devote my professional life to studying the brain. My dissertation research um, was focused on eludicating the mechanisms underlying the development of temporal lobe epilepsy. And I'm also involved in the Society for Neuroscience, American Epilepsy Society, and Cure Epilepsy um, as well. And finally, I'm a patient advocate, and I've dedicated my life to bring awareness to epilepsy and by talking about my experiences. Epilepsy affects approximately 50 million people worldwide, so it's one of the most common neurological disorders globally. Epilepsy is sometimes referred to as a seizure disorder, but it's actually a diverse group of neurological disorders with varying types of severities that are characterized by recurrent seizures. So basically, when a person has had two or more seizures within a 24-hour period, um, which have not not been provoked, um, that's basically um, a form of epilepsy. And a person can also be diagnosed with epilepsy if they have one or more unprovoked seizures with a future probability of having seizures as well. Now, the exact cause of epilepsy is kind of unknown. In general, epilepsy and seizures result from abnormal activities in the brain. Um, It could be genetic, which means there's some type of mutation that's causing the epilepsy to occur, or epilepsy can also be acquired through events such as head trauma, infectious diseases, stroke, or, you know, even uh, sometimes the development of a tumor. Around 70% of people diagnosed with epilepsy can control their seizures with medicine or surgery. However, 30% of those patients um, actually 
will continue to have uh, seizures even though the best available treatments are indeed available. So these patients are unable to achieve seizure freedom in their life because they don't respond to these anti-seizure medications. I was diagnosed with absence seizures in the mid-90s when I was a very young girl, around one or two years old. Eventually, I was diagnosed with additional types of seizures, such as focal and tonic-clonic seizures, which made things a bit more difficult. Now, for a general person, when they think of a seizure, they most likely will think of a tonic-clonic seizure. And basically, what you're thinking about is, you know, you're watching a scary movie and then someone starts having a seizure. It's that kind of seizure. So I I do have those um, at times. And again, that made things a bit more difficult for me growing up. Um, I recall trying at least five medications. None of them helped. And my seizures continued to become worse and worse as I grew up. Um, School uh, was never easy for me. Um, Friends were also challenging at times um, because I don't know if, again, if you have seen a seizure, but there's a sense of lingering anxiety when someone witnesses you having one. It's scary. So um, it was difficult for me to um, retain friendships sometimes. When I was a teenager, my seizures were really bad. My mom had to bring down a bed from upstairs, set it up in our living room, and lay me on it so she could tend um, to me during seizures. And it was really bad. Um, I was experiencing about 30 seizures a day at one point in my life. And that was, that was very difficult um, because the quality of life for me was um, not, not too great. Um, I was unable to eat alone, drink alone, even go to the restroom alone. So that was, um, it's hard um, at times to live with epilepsy in that sense, especially when it's uncontrolled. In 2012, um, I went into an episode of Status Epilepticus, which is basically when um, you go into a seizure episode um, and it doesn't stop. You don't return to normal consciousness. And the more you have these seizures, you're at risk for um, cell death in your brain, which again, isn't um, something you exactly want uh, long term. So if you keep having this status epilepticus episodes, um, it leads to the development of more um, difficulties that you will experience later in life. So um, after that, after my episode of status epilepticus in 2012, I had to be hospitalized for several months. However, during my time there, I actually had an incredible child neurologist. He was amazing. And he noticed my interest in the brain because I always asked questions about what was going on. Like, why do I need to take this medication? What are you doing um, to improve, you know, my treatment? Or what does this part of the brain do? I was asking so many questions all the time. So um, my neurologist actually brought me some of his neuroscience textbooks from medical school so I could read them uh, while I was in my hospital bed. And he said I should consider a career in neuroscience. 
And that moment really changed my life. And I decided to um, pursue that type of career because I wanted to understand what exactly was going on in my brain. The most serious epileptic episode that I've experienced thus far in life was in 2017. And I was a second year graduate student. Um, The stress was real. I was working um, uh, long hours in the lab and, you know, uh, I I seriously believe stress um, is definitely a trigger for a lot of my seizures, but it's definitely inevitable. Um, You can't really avoid it when you're in graduate school, but nonetheless, um, my most serious episode was um, I basically went into status epilepticus again. I've been in that type of event, I believe, four times in my life. Um, Each time has been progressively worse. In the case of the 2017 status epilepticus episode, I... um, I was in um, a, in these uh, seizure episodes for for a long time, and um, thankfully, my um, significant other um, actually rescued me. Um, so I was going into this nonstop seizure episode. I was having those tonic clonic seizures back to back to back, and my significant other took me to the hospital where he was informed that um, it it was really bad. And to my surprise, um, the doctors actually informed him and my family that there was a good chance I I wasn't going to recover. The physicians had to put me into this um, coma-like state to kind of calm down my brain activity and possibly rescue me from the status epilepticus event. I was in this coma for a couple of days, and um, when I woke up, I believe it was on the third day, I, you know, it, I couldn't believe um, that, that I survived the event. Um, it took me a long time to come back to a fully functional person and um, continue on in my graduate studies. It was, it was one of the most difficult um, seizure events I've experienced thus far in life. But um, after I woke up um, from that coma, I decided to become more vocal about having epilepsy and try to normalize what it's like to live with this type of neurological condition. And when you do that, you begin to break stigmas associated with the disorder. And the more people know about epilepsy, the more people know about your personal experience with it, it helps break down this barrier um, and allows you to communicate um, what it's like. And eventually for the next generation, maybe their um, experience with epilepsy won't be as difficult. They won't have to Um, go through these social stigmas and be afraid to disclose they have epilepsy to their friends. So my dissertation research is about understanding the mechanisms by how epilepsy develops in the brain, specifically temporal lobe epilepsy. 
Now, temporal lobe epilepsy is actually one of the most common forms of epilepsy. So this affects a lot of people and is often um, sometimes considered a refractory epilepsy. So some people with this temporal lobe epilepsy, they try all these different medications, but still cannot achieve seizure freedom. And some of them respond well to surgery if they find the seizure foci and are able to remove it, that's great, and their seizures can um, be controlled. However, if you're not responding to anti-seizure medications and your seizure foci is located in a part of the brain that's really essential to your quality of life or responsible to talking or hearing or smelling, you know, etc., you don't want to remove that part because then you won't be able, be able to um, really enjoy or appreciate, you know, life. So um, those types of patients are kind of out of luck. They can't do surgery. They can't. They're not responding to anti-seizure medications. They may be able to do um, some type of device um, device implantation, and that may be able to help them um, have con- more controlled seizures, but. Again, in 30% of this patient population of epilepsy in general, they are unable to achieve that seizure freedom. So ultimately, we need a way to find some type of opportunity to prevent the development of seizures before they even occur. And I'm, I'm kind of talking about something like um, if you're predisposed to developing epilepsy, like say that um, as a person with epilepsy, I'm privileged em- enough to have children, but they will have an increased risk of developing epilepsy since I have epilepsy. Now, if I could give my future children some type of preventative treatment to just stop the development of epilepsy, and then they could grow up and you know not have to worry about it. That's kind of where we're going as a field. And that, that would be a dream if we were able um, ever. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're able to accomplish something like that in our epilepsy research community. But basically, my dissertation work is about exploring ways to prevent um, seizures with different types of cellular pathways. So uh, my research was essentially um, looking at something called the mechanistic target of rapamycin. And it's also known as mTOR. It controls a lot of key physiological functions in the brain, like dendrite shape, size, structure, axon growth, etc. And within mTOR research, In genetic epilepsies, this has actually um, been shown to be a key pathway um, when stopping um, specific genetic epilepsy developments such as TSC. Um, These TSC kids, which have seizures, when they're given 
specific mTOR-related antagonists, their disease condition actually improves. So that's great. Um, But with acquired epilepsies, which is a totally different mechanism, we're unsure if these mTOR antagonists will work um, with this type of epilepsy. So um, basically, we're kind of exploring um, whether or not this can work in acquired epilepsy. Um, In temporal lobe epilepsy, we do see mTOR-related hyperactivation in the hippocampus um, every time a seizure occurs. So that's quite interesting. And we thought maybe if we can prevent um, this type of mTOR hyperactivation in different cell populations, then maybe that will lead to some kind of disease modification and stop the development of the epilepsy. Epilepsy sometimes influenced my studies in graduate school. For example, after a seizure event, um, it's quite difficult to tell whether, at least from my perspective, I'll be fully functional the next day or able to study for this specific test or um, even remember um, important concepts and definitions and theories that I'd need to move forward with my dissertation work. I've developed some habits to combat these um, cognitive impairments that I experience um, depending on how bad the seizures are for me that day or that week or that month. Um, I find myself writing down everything Um, Because even if I don't, um, if I just listen to something, I won't always remember everything. So I have to write down everything, just every every possible thing that I'm learning in a lecture or that I'm hearing in a meeting or a discussion at a conference with a colleague. I'll have my notepad out and I'll be writing away and Yes, uh, sometimes it's inconvenient or it may look kind of strange, but that's what I have to do to battle um, this aspect of epilepsy. And I'm okay with that and I tell people about it. So again, um, if another person with epilepsy also has the same experience, um, maybe it, it won't look as strange and maybe this could be something normalized for our patient community in the future. Like, it's okay if you have to jot a bunch of stuff down so you can remember um, what you're doing. And yes, that's, that's one thing I do to combat the um, cognitive impairments that come along as comorbidities of epilepsy. The current state of epilepsy research is moving away from just preventing seizures from happening and moving forward and focusing on the quality of life as from a patient perspective and combating comorbidities as well that are related to the disorder. For example, um, right now, Our research community is focused on understanding the causes of epilepsies and their association with neurologic, 
psychiatric and other somatic conditions. So this basically involves taking some steps and trying to discover new genes and molecular pathways that are related to different types of epilepsies and figuring out how these things relate to changes in the circuits and network function and interact with changes in molecular and cellular activity um, going back and relating that to the pathogenesis of epilepsy. So it's kind of like understanding the disorder from a bunch of different perspectives and then eventually marrying all of those together to have a more complete picture of what epilepsy looks like um, in the 21st century. Another key item that the epilepsy research community focuses on is preventing that preventing epilepsy and its progression, which kind of what area that I focused on in my dissertation, since my dissertation was focusing or prioritizing that very thing, trying to research a way to prevent the development of epilepsy, specifically in acquired epilepsies, which again is unknown. But preventing epilepsy and its progression may include discovering types of biomarkers, helping identifying, anticipating, and monitoring the status of epileptogenesis. Epileptogenesis is basically how epilepsy forms in a long-term fashion. So if we could understand how epilepsy forms, then we can identify um, markers of illness progression, and we could comprehend these epileptogenic changes that are happening um, from neural develop- developmental origins as well. An additional interest from the epilepsy community is finding new um, treatment opportunities and also improving current treatment opportunities to control seizures and other epilepsy related conditions with limited side effects. And this includes um, identifying new um, anti-seizure therapeutic targets in mechanism-based treatments. And this one is incredibly important because as a person with epilepsy, when you take these anti-seizure medications, you have a lot of side effects. Um, The ones I'm currently on sometimes lead to brain fog where I'm unable to perfectly articulate what I'm trying to say to you as a person. They make you tired. Sometimes you feel confused in random spurts as well when you're on these medications. Um, But this is—it's a huge um, barrier to quality of life improvements for these um, patients with epilepsy. So, um, in my opinion, this is one of the most interesting ones to me. And then finally, a recently developed interest in our epilepsy community is limiting treating or preventing co-occurring conditions associated with epilepsy. And this is um, also very important because a lot of epilepsies have comorbidities associated with them. And those range on the spectrum, ranging from uh, neuro, neurodevelopmental issues, mental health, cognition, and other health-related items affecting the quality of life as a patient. So I want to specifically talk about the mental health aspect of epilepsy. And from my own experience, um, for example, I have, you know, I've experienced anxiety, depression, and other barriers um, related to mental health as well. 
And if you think about it, you know, you're already having to deal with and manage epilepsy as a, as um, your own uh, obstacle in life, but then you're adding on these additional mental health <laughs> uh, barriers as well. So it, it's kind of like you're managing all of these different things at one time and you're trying to par- prioritize maybe working on the epilepsy thing or taking more medications for anxiety. Yeah. My career moved out of the lab and into advocacy work during COVID-19. Basically, my lab was shut down for several months and I was unable to move forward with my laboratory research. I decided to become more involved in my professional organization called the Society for Neuroscience. It's one of the biggest um, organizations for neuroscientists worldwide. And um, they had a really fantastic program to encourage early career neuroscientists like myself to participate in advocacy-related matters. So eventually, I was accepted into the SFN, Early Career Policy Ambassadors Program. And I had the opportunity to meet with various members of our Congress and advocate for increases in federal funding from our government to support neuroscience-related research. Through that experience, I learned that I very much enjoyed science communication, and I wondered if there was a career path where I could get involved um, with both um, the academic perspective and then the industry perspective as well. Thankfully, during my graduate studies, I networked a lot. And briefly, I encourage any early career researcher listening to this podcast to prioritize networking while you're in graduate school. Yes, uh, it takes a lot of time. However, it will help move your career forward. At the end of 2021, I was recommended to apply for a director level position specializing in life sciences at um, Cincy Tech. And Cincy Tech is one of the most active seed funds in the Midwest here in America. We are a public-private seed stage venture firm whose mission is to be a trusted partner helping to transform ideas into high potential life science and digital companies here in Southwest Ohio. In January of this year, I secured my position at the firm as Director of Life Sciences, where I'm responsible for sourcing, tracking, and vetting life science deals for our funds, building relationships with entrepreneurs in both academic and industry settings, and supporting ongoing portfolio needs and performing diligence on new investment opportunities. I work with an excellent team and I'm truly thankful to be at the firm. And thus far, um, Cincy Tech has made over $100 million in direct investments and our portfolio companies have received more than $1.5 billion in co-investments. And right now we're raising a $100 million fund for our six seed stage funds. So it's a pretty exciting time and I'm really excited to be part of the mission of investing in the Midwest.
Now that's it for this episode of Tales from the Synapse. I'm Jean-Marie Zarate, a senior editor at Nature Neuroscience. The producer was Dom Byrne. Thanks again to Kristen Goddale, and thank you for listening.